Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. How's everybody doing? Good. Everyone over here is great. There's a small unicorn keychain up here. That's kind of exciting. Sorry. Sometimes I'm easily distracted. Sometimes. Awesome. Uh, One uh, quick other announcement, uh, just so you guys know. uh, This coming Wednesday is our... Big uh, beginning of the month equip night. It's Wednesday nights at 6.30 at the Operation Mobilization Building. And Lindy Hale is the one that's teaching, so you are not going to want to miss that. Super, super awesome time. Um, so uh, I've asked this question a, a lot, um, but it's, it's uh, something that has to do a lot with uh, my background, and so it's something that I want to... Um, I, I like to speak to a lot. How many people in here uh, more or less grew up in the church? Throw a hand up high in there. Okay. Okay. How many of you did not? Yes, awesome. We love you too. <laughs> um, now, one thing I've, I've found that even, even if people didn't necessarily grow up in the church, they probably grew up with a perception of the church, like an idea of what it looks like or what's normal or what, what that is. You know, would you say that that's true? Awesome. No, someone no. Probably some no, but um, so what I want to talk about today is how we how we make sure not to let what we expect something to be limit how we experience it. Does that make sense? Even in a culture that like ours that's very free, oh the Bible's just opening itself. It's a miracle. Actually, it's a fan. <laughs> Problem solved. Um, so, as I said, easily distracted. Um, even in a culture that's very free like ours, we can begin to draw limitations on what an experience, what a life, what a connection with God looks like. And I, for one, never, ever, ever want to do that. Would you agree? Cool. All right, so if you would turn to the book of Revelation with me. (laughs) Don't worry, it's just the first couple of chapters. It's not the scary parts later. (laughs) Revelation chapter 2. To the church in Smyrna. Who's from Smyrna? It's a lame joke, but I had to do it. I'm not even reading from that part. (laughs) Chapter 2, this is actually to the church in Ephesus, and this is one of the, this is interesting, this is, uh, I had a really, really good Bible teacher when I was in high school, and he uh, did a preaching class where he taught about, like, how to preach and and things like that, and he said, uh, he used to jokingly say that he, the the first uh, three chapters of Revelation were his favorite, because those ones felt like nice, clear, explicit instructions hey, you've been doing this, now you need to do this. You're lukewarm, get not lukewarm, and, you know, all these, all these kinds of things. Um, and I, so I want to take a look at one of those. So this is the first one. This is uh, to the church in Ephesus, chapter 2, verse, um, 
verse 4. So up until this point, he's talking about all the good stuff they've done. You know, hey, you've persevered, you've done this, you've, you've stuck to my word. But he says this. Um, he says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. My version has an exclamation point at that part. Repent and do the things you did at first. Repent and do the things you did at first. Now, this is something that can be a, a little bit tricky because, you know, we're not in a performance culture here. We don't earn God's love. We don't, uh, we don't earn salvation. It's a free gift, right? Yet, there's this scripture right here where this John, the, the, the disciple who Jesus loved, the, the love guy is having this vision where he's telling this church, hey, go back to your first love and do the things you did at first. Seems like a mismatch, huh? Some of you agree, some of you are like, no, I'm not going to say that out loud. Um, all right, let, let's turn to one more scripture. Uh, I can just quote this if you guys don't, um, don't want to turn to it, but it's in Ephesians, Ephesians 5. And the, the key here is, is uh, verse 31 and 32. And he's quoting Genesis here, but he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now we see this metaphor all throughout the Bible of, of the bride of Christ, of, of the picture of our relationship with God being that of a bridegroom and a bride. Now, we see a lot of pictures of what our relationship with God looks like. We see uh, scriptures that refer to him as, as our Lord. We see scriptures that refer to him as our Father. And we see scriptures that refer to him as our bridegroom, as uh, someone that loves us. We have a whole book, the Song of Solomon, that's, that's a beautiful picture of this kind of relationship. And right now, I want to zoom in on that relationship because I love this metaphor when it comes to what it looks like to connect with God. And especially when I look at a scripture that seems uh, unkind, that could seem controlling, that could seem like, hey, do the things you did at the first, you know, it can feel like, oh, I need to start performing again. Does anyone get that feeling at all when you hear that scripture that wants to willingly admit it? Okay, cool. A few of you. So uh, April and I, my wife, uh, who's over there with our cute little baby, <laughs> woo! <laughs> Don't clap too loud. The baby has sensitive ears. Um, we've been married for uh, 12 years now, and yes, thank you. Um, and at first, pursuing April was really, really easy because I was fascinated by her. I just thought. This is an amazing woman. She is fantastic. And every new thing I learn about her, I just love more. And I'm falling more and more and more and more in love with it. It wasn't necessarily simple. It wasn't necessarily easy. Uh, but it was easy to keep pursuing because I just felt this passionate love towards her. And I know many, many people. I got, I got saved when I was three years old. But I know a lot of people who, who got saved uh, in their teens or a little bit later. They had this really high, passionate experience with God where they just fell in love with God. How many of you have that kind of story where you just fell in love with, with God? And even though I got saved when I was three, I did have an experience around the age of 12 where I did feel like I fell in love with God for the first time. And at first, it's really easy, 
right? It just, it just draws you in. You tumble into it. It just keeps going and going and going, right? Now, sometimes when we hear this scripture, we hear return to your first love. We think like, oh, man. And we go, we go back to our own picture of like, oh, I used, to, I used to just go out on outreaches like crazy. I, I used to go to church 14 times a week, you know, which is impressive. You have to like go to three different churches to do that. Um, the... <laughs> You know, I used to pray until three in the morning. I used to read my Bible so much that the pages were falling out, you know. And sometimes what we can do is think back to that. And when we hear this phrase, do what you did at the first, we think, okay, well, I just need to go and do that. I just need to read more of my Bible. I just need to, to go to church more. I need to pray more. How many of you ever had that impulse before? Not a wrong thing, Right? Like, I'll wait to confirm until I know where you're going with this, Blake. Um, There's nothing inherently wrong with it. The Bible tells us elsewhere that faith without works is dead. Another one of those sometimes offensive scriptures, especially in a culture like this. Faith without works is dead. So I love this metaphor of marriage because I think it applies especially to this concept so very perfectly. So when I was, um, I, I had this experience, I know so many people did, I, uh, Steve and Lindy, Steve used to tell stories about driving for, for long periods of time to go visit Lindy for 30 minutes, only to turn around and have to drive all the way back when they were dating, when they, when they were in school. You know, these huge drives, and it was no problem driving this far just to spend a few minutes with Lindy and to, to drive back. Um, they're out on vacation right now, so yay for them. Um, and I remember, you know, uh, driving to pick up April from work, you know, at 10 o'clock at night, just so that I could spend a few minutes with her on the drive home to, to drop her off. One time, in fact, she was, she was working so late and she was so tired that I would, um, sh- uh, I went there to pick her up and we hopped in uh, her car to, to drop her off. And she's like, Ah, you know, you just uh, you just take the the car. I don't feel like dropping you off at your place. You know, just drop me off at my house. And it was a stick shift, and I'd never driven a stick shift before, except for like ten minutes with my dad one time. And in those ten minutes, I managed to crash into a bush. But that's a side uh, no. <laughs> and so April taught me how to drive a stick shift in fifteen minutes in front of, or excuse me, fifteen seconds in front of her house. And I drove it back home. Like, <laughs> thankfully, she wasn't in the car for that part because that would have been embarrassing. But I was willing to do that, willing to drive, willing to, to dr- drop off, willing to stay up super late to, just because any amount of time that I could spend with her was, was worth it, right? And so then uh, we continued to, to fall in love when we got married, and we lived in the same house, and we moved to Georgia. And as the years go on, as life goes on, it, um, you start to have a lot more normal come into your life, Right? You get into a routine, even if, you, even if you love this person just as much. You get into a routine. You go to work. I say I love you on the way out. You know, you have maybe a weekly date if you're you know, really working hard on, at it. And this thing just keeps going. And it's very easy for what can feel like love to fade. Right? <laughs> Thank you, Dan. Um, so uh, we have this idea of there being multiple kinds of, of love, and it 
mainly comes from the Greek idea that there's these different names for love. You have eros, which is like romantic, you know, passionate kind of love. You have uh, phileo, which is the, the kind of brotherly, like, oh, I just love you, man or sister, you know, th- that kind of thing. Um, you, you have uh, agape, which is just this, this love for everyone, this love for the world, this love for, for all people. And um, I, I'm going to be a little bit controversial to just about every Bible teaching I've heard about love uh, for, the, for all time uh, and say that I still think that even di- dividing up love those ways severely limits our picture of what love actually is. That even splitting it into four different parts or three different parts or things like that is uh, sometimes a better way to understand it, but still a severe limitation. I love what Paul said here in Ephesians. He says, this is a mystery. This is a mystery. This is a profound mystery. And I believe that it's God's intention and design that love is a mysterious thing. But I would say... That for me, the part of it that's not mysterious is that I believe that love fundamentally, in its very design, is a choice to give someone something. What that something is, how it works, how it operates, that's where the big mystery is to me. That's, that's, that's this beautiful, mysterious thing that we spend our entire lives and probably the majority of eternity discovering over and over and over again. But I believe that fundamentally love is something that we choose to give to someone. And I have lots of reasons for thinking of that. But one of them is a, a, a mystery of how God designed the universe that has confused me since I was little. God decided to give people free will. Seems obvious. But... The risk that you take on, the danger that exists, the, the level of problems that might cause uh, in certain circumstances that you could maybe randomly think of uh, across the entirety of human history, the, the potential danger of that is so high, what's on the other side of it must be extremely valuable. In fact, even in the Garden of Eden, a perfect paradise that God built to interact with mankind, that, a place where it was normal enough for God to come and walk in the cool of the day with his kids, that Adam and Eve recognized that sound at a distance. Even in that kind of place, he intentionally put a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He put a, the potential for a bad choice in the garden. Why? Because if love is not a choice, it is not love. It's something else. If love is not a choice, if I do not choose to give my love to you, then it is not love, it's something else. Checking with me on that? So uh, have you guys ever heard the uh, five love languages? If you know with that concept, brief rundown, uh, all the, you know, 
counseling people are going to try to throw something at me because I'm way oversimplifying it. But there's the uh, gifts. You like people to give you nice things and they want to be thoughtful, you know, and all that kind of thing. You know, oh, you knew what to give me. You know me. You have the acts of service, which like, oh, you know that I feel more peace when, when the house is clean, when, when things are taken care of. And you intentionally are helping me with those things. And you're even anticipating some of those needs and cleaning the house ahead of time or making the bed, even though it just gets messed up again later. <laughs> you can tell which love language I'm not. Um, <laughs> all the acts of service people were feeling loved until I made that joke. Um, <laughs> You have the quality time people. It's like, oh, if we're just sitting in the same room together, if we're just engaged together, you know, if we're just talking together in a, in a, in a, in a space, we're just together, then that's when I, I feel love. You have the words of affirmation people who is like, just tell me how awesome I am all the time and how, how beautiful I am and how smart I am and all those things. And just tell me, tell me the nice things about me, if you would. Um, <laughs> did I miss one? Which one is left? <laughs> Touch. Oh, yeah, just give me a hug. Just give me a hug. You know, rub the shoulders, you know, those kinds of things. I'm a touch love language. You can give me a hug. It's all good. Um, I love Danny Silk's way of explaining this, that for a touch love language person, uh, the moment you stop having contact with another human being, there's a little timer that starts ticking to the number of milliseconds since you were last hugged or touched or given a high five or something like that by another person. So touch love languages. Um... So uh, my, my lovely wife, April, is uh, one of her uh, high uh, love languages is acts of service. Um, I sometimes jokingly, in my mind, uh, do a little wordplay and call it the, the acts of service. Um, <laughs> which really makes her feel loved and appreciated. <laughs> uh, but it's right there, you know, it's right there. Um, and... Um, I'm not necessarily naturally an acts of service person. I don't naturally think, oh, I should clean that thing up right now. I, you know, I don't necessarily see that there's something that's messy there, you know. When I was in my uh, apartment in, in school with all my roommates, uh, you couldn't see the carpet. <laughs> uh, it was mostly food wrappers. It wasn't that dirty, but <laughs> it's totally fine, totally fine. Um, Relatively clean. The sink was not clean. The the everything on the floor was relatively. Sorry, I'm giving Justin a heart attack right now. Um, um, and and I that didn't really bother me. I just didn't see it. It's just how my brain works. My brain is in the cloud somewhere, you know. Um, and and so when I got married, I, I married this person who I was just in love with and adored and would do any Thor, anything for, would, would, would drive, you know, uh, you know, driving an hour and a half in the city of Reading, that's where we uh, met and, and fell in love and everything, driving an hour and a half in the, within the bounds of city of Reading is pretty tricky. It's like five minutes from end to end. So actually spending an hour driving, you have a pretty complicated schedule just to make that happen to drop off pickups and driving from school to school, all that kind of stuff. But I would do it just for any moment of time that I could spend with her. And then, after we got married, and one or two years go by, and April starts having these needs of, you know, Blake, why are you leaving your shorts on the floor? Blake, you know, the dishes are, are so messy, you know. And then we start, you know, producing these small humans, and uh, those guys don't know anything about cleaning, let me tell you. <laughs> They're terrible at it. They, they really do the opposite more than they do, you know, the, the other. They just 
creating messes, you know. <laughs> Just the other day, <laughs> Ender was trying to get a fork, and you know, we have all the kids' forks in one little thing right there, and he couldn't find the one that he wanted, so he took the whole you know, thing out of the kids' forks, dumped it on the floor, found the color that he wanted, and walked away. <laughs> like, like, that's a fine way <laughs> to look for something you need, you know. <laughs> and I... <laughs> And I'm, we're trying to do this, like, you know, active learning thing where he's figuring it out himself and everything. So I'm like, hey, buddy, did you forget something? And he looks back, and he's like, ah. He grabs the container that he threw on the floor, leaves all the forks on the ground, and sets the container in the drawer <laughs> and closes it. <laughs> I'm like, Your heart's in the right place, buddy. <laughs> um, and so we have these, these uh, small humans who are conspiring to get that, see how, how messy they can get the house. Um, and especially early on, as uh, I was still learning how to do this, this uh, being married and, and love thing, I would start to feel like, ah, you want me to clean all the time? Should I put on a, you know, a, a little butler outfit for you or something while I'm doing that? I didn't say these things. These were feelings. <laughs> that would have been unkind. Um, but, I, but I, you know, I, yeah, there would, there would be the feeling of annoyance and that. But then at certain points, like, man, how many hours am I supposed to, like, clean for you, you know? And I would, you know, since my skills were so very low, I'd put all this effort into them, like, all right, I got the dishes clean, I washed them, got them, unloaded it, reloaded it, boom. You know, April would come home from work, and I'd be like, look, I did the dishes. <laughs> Words of affirmation, please celebrate me. Um, <laughs> And she would say, why is there a big pile of laundry in the living room? <laughs> and I said, because folding's hard. Um, <laughs> um, and I would be upset that she did not be, she was not happy that I did the dishes. I did something, you know, look at, look at me. Um... I can see lots of you are getting breakthrough right now. <laughs> and some of you are like, stop it. Like, stop right now. Don't. This is giving them ammunition. <laughs> um. <laughs> I believe that what the Lord is saying when he says, go back and do the things you did at the first. It's not go do your job. It's not get back to work. It's about remember the heart that you had, the position your heart was in, where it didn't matter if you drove an hour and a half to spend five minutes with this person. Remember, choose to position your heart in the place where you remember when you would move heaven and earth to spend 15 minutes in this person's presence. Because when I'm thinking about how much I need to do for April to feel okay and not get upset with me when, when she comes home. It feels like work. It feels like a task. It feels exhausting and overwhelming. When I think about this is me actively loving the most important person in my life, it suddenly gets a lot easier. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? When I stop thinking about the needs that this person has, and I, I, we're talking about light stuff right now, but when I start thinking about the needs this person has for affection, for love, for kindness, for kind words, like, hey, you want me to say that? I just don't talk that way. You want me to, uh, you know, be this way around you? That's just not who, you know, who I am or what I do. 
when we st stop thinking, when we start thinking that in the terms of, am I choosing to love this person or not? It changes the way that we think. Now, I'll, I'll throw in the, the healthy caveats of, it doesn't mean you get to disappear and not be a person and put on the butler and or maid uniform, you know, to just perform tasks for this person. That's not, because that's not what that love is either. You know what I mean? But at the same time, I mean, DC Talk said it, love is a verb. <laughs> if love doesn't do anything, then it isn't anything. Faith without works is dead. I would, agree, I would also suggest that love without works is dead. Now, works just done to do the check mark of love isn't love either. It's just not. But choosing to position our heart in that place will build up that love. So when it comes to moving this metaphor to, to God and to our experience with him, it can get complicated. I remember, so I, you know, I got saved when I was three. I grew up in the church. And I remember watching one after one, especially as I got in junior high and high school, all of these close friends of mine. I was really tight with our youth group, and I just you know, knew, knew all the kids there and everything. And I was just watching one by one as some of my closest friends just kind of fell off the wagon, for, for a better term. They, they just dropped off. They stopped being the person that I knew that they were, that, that I had seen them being. They stopped being in love with Jesus the same way. They maybe stopped coming to youth group. They stopped being involved the same way. They stopped worshiping the same way. Now again, all of those things, it's not about doing those things. But it was evidence of a, of a person who I was watching falling out of love with God. Now a lot of those people uh, were forced to go to church from a young age by their parents. They were obliged to. They were forced to read their Bible or to do family Bible study on, on Wednesdays or whatever. They were forced to, to be, be in worship. You know, force is a strong term, but you know what I'm saying, and some of you may have experienced that. They were, they were obligated by their family to engage. Now, that can be a true pain or a true trauma, when we feel like we have to, or we are being forced to, or we are obligated to, it actually equips us, or rather trains us to not do these things out of love, which can be dangerous, right? <clears throat> but I want to encourage us, both with our, our kids and with ourselves, to ride that balance because going the other direction of, oh, this stuff doesn't matter or, oh, you know, you don't need to, you don't need to, you know, congregate with, uh, with other Christians. You don't need to read the Bible. You don't need to worship. You don't need to pray. Doing that all of a sudden creates this bubble where we're in a relationship with God, but we're not actually experiencing any of the love. There have been moments and seasons, short ones, thankfully, where April and I are just kind of existing in the same space, where it's so busy with the kids, it's so busy with work, 
that uh, that we're just existing in the same space. And it, it happens quickly, where all of a sudden, all this stuff that we have to do to just make life happen becomes routine, becomes dull, and, and even starts to cause friction, pain, and, and, and things like that. And it can be easy to get into a mindset, a, a unhealthy mindset. I, I had, um, so uh, April's uh, six years older than me. Um, doesn't she look nice? And, um, and so we got married when I was 22. And I just had this thing in my head when I was, when I was young. It didn't, wasn't like a commitment that I made or anything, but it was just in my head. Like, oh, I don't want to get married until I'm 25. 25 seems like a good age. That's enough time to figure out my life or something and then, you know, get married. That seems like a good number. Um, and so I, I met April. April was, was really excited to get married right away, and I was very much in love with her. And... Boom, just in the, in the middle of Eros, in the middle of, of romantic, passionate love, married April. And as we started getting into the, the, the normal of life, as we started having kids, as we started having responsibilities and uh, needed to make money to feed uh, us and the kids and you know, be able to live in a house and things like that, um, I could very quietly just start to feel this little thing try to crawl up inside my inside my, my heart, my chest, my brain, something, some way. It was crawling in there. Um, <laughs> metaphors failed me at this exact moment. Um, I could feel this thing of, when, in some of those moments where, hey, why is there a pile of laundry here? I just did the dishes. In those moments of, you know, hey, did you get that thing done? I could feel this little thing say, hey, I gave up my young life so that I could be, be with you. You know, I don't know. Emotions are dumb. But anyway, um, <laughs> I disagree. Emotions are not dumb. But you get what I'm saying. And I've, I could feel this thing of, um, like, hey, I gave up uh, time that, that I wanted to have to be, uh, to be myself. I never lived alone in my entire life. I've never da-da-da-da-da. And all these things would start ticking in my head. And I felt the Holy Spirit grab my shirt kind of like this, metaphorically, but it didn't feel very metaphorical. Um, and he said, did you choose to marry April or didn't you? <laughs> and this, and I, this wasn't like a thing I was meditating on. This wasn't like this big like, thing of bitterness. This was just a thing that would crawl up for every now and again for a little while. And I felt him grab me and say, did you marry April or did you not? And I said, yes, I did. And yes, I do. <laughs> if there's one thing that's fundamentally true about love is that it is something that we choose to give to someone else or we choose not to. And love is mysterious. Love is scary. Love is sometimes bigger than what we know what it is at any given moment. But I will promise you that when we choose to engage, when we choose to give it, when we find that line between doing this for obligation and doing this to train my heart to point in the right direction and not let that danger of, of just doing this out of performance keep us from doing what we did at the first, I guarantee, because I've seen it in my own life, I've seen it in my relationship with God, I've seen it in the lives of my friends and loved ones, that you will train your heart to live in love. A love that you can't fall out of because you chose to give it to someone. 
And yes, I'm talking about marriage, but I'm also talking about God. There's fundamentals that are easy to let go of in a culture like this because we're free, because we don't have to, because no one's, no one's up here every week saying, well, did you read your Bible? How many chapters? You know, how many times a day? You know, how many times have you read through the whole Bible? I've read through it 36 times this week. Um, you know, <laughs> I just read Leviticus a few extra times just to give me some of that potent stuff, you know. Um, you know, well, I prayed for six hours. Well, I prayed for 13, you know, it's like. I prayed for 28, you know. It's, uh, well, I was worshiping for six hours. I was worshiping for, you get the idea. <laughs> yeah, I digress. Um, there's a version of that that is performance. There's a version of that that is unhealthy. There's also a version of that that is someone who has pointed their heart to falling in love with God and choosing to do what they did at the first. Choosing to do anything that gets them closer to this person, choosing to take the time to sacrifice the energy to point ourselves at this person and say, yes, I'm with you. And I want to address that today because there is a danger in a culture like this. There's always dangers in any kind of culture. There's a danger in a culture that's very uh, strict and regimented and what we would maybe think of as religious, of our relationship with God just becoming a religious ritual, a checklist, a, thing, a series of things that we have to do. Um, there's a danger in a culture, there's a danger of that in here, but there's also a danger in, a, in this kind of culture of our relationship with God being a feel-good romance. <laughs> being a feel-good uh, Everything is awesome. God is awesome. Everything is good. Everything is cool. Hooray. Uh, mountaintop experience. Uh, emotional height during worship kind of thing. These are all good things that I'm listing. But if this is your relationship with God, that's a close buddy that you hang out with on the weekends. And April is a close buddy that I hang out with on the weekends. We, we go to the lake. We, we go hiking with our kids. We, we do fun things. That's part of our relationship. But if that was all that I got out of this relationship, that would be a true tragedy because there is so much more. And it is even more true with God that this is not just a... Lord ruler that we have to follow all the rules with. This is not just an awesome guy we hang out with on the weekends that just feels great and has fun. No, this is someone who is desperately, deeply in love with you, who wants to know you and to be known by you, who wants to grow with you in intimacy every single day, every single, with every single one of you personally. There is no upper limit. There is no ceiling on intimacy with God. It just keeps going and going and going and going. It just keeps going. And it, I will say, it is normal for there to be peaks and valleys. It is normal for there to be moments where you catch yourself just in the routine, just in the run. That happens to me, and uh, a relationship with God is a big part of my job, you know? It happens to me where I catch myself in a moment of, oh, I'm just kind of doing what I do. A beautiful, powerful, dynamic relationship with God is not about never having valleys, never having dips, never having plateaus. It's about 
what you decide to do when you find yourself in one of those. It's about when I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, who do I look for to be near me? <laughs> it's about when I catch myself on a plateau, when I realize like it's just been kind of going like this for a while, what do I position my heart? Do I remember to do what I did at the first? Not out of obligation, not out of requirement, not out of performance, but to train my heart to go where I want it to go and to do what I want it to do. Does that make sense? There's no limit. Yes, we're going to have an even greater relationship with God in heaven, but there is no limit to how close you can get to him while you're here on earth. That is what Jesus paid for. That is what Jesus paid for, the right to be present amongst his people. And so I want to in encourage you, if it looks like changing the way that you worship, you know, it's, if it looks like getting up and I'm going to move around, I'm going to dance. I don't feel like dancing right now, but I'm going to do it. Not because I'm obliged to, not because that's the cool thing to do in this church, but because I'm training my heart in the direction that I want it to go. I'm going to read my Bible today, every day for the next three months. Not out of obligation, not because I'm supposed to, not because it's going to get me more Christian merit badges. No, because I love this person and I want to get to know them. Because I've seen in my own marriage and the marriages of my friends that if we do the things we did at the first, if we train our hearts, I watch my friends fall more in love with each other. I watch myself fall more in love with my wife. And I realize the places that I thought were ceilings were actually just the, the <laughs> I just need to, I, all I needed to do was find the stairway to the next floor. And there's way, way, way more. And there always is. And if there's that much with a human relationship, how much more? Is there a relationship with the author of love itself? All right, everyone stand up real quick for me. <clears throat> so this is a real simple thing to do, but it's, it's tricky because in the same way that I could look at any couple that's maybe hit a plateau and say, hey, go on some dates, uh, spend some time together, talk about your feelings, talk about your life, um, go get counseling, you know, whatever. Um, none of those things inherently solve the problem. Those are just things to do that can start to trigger this choice, this direction, this alignment. Wherever you're at in your relationship with God right now, there's lots of things that you can do and lots, lots of things I could suggest. What it really comes down to, though, is listening to your heart and listening to his heart and saying, what does it look like to point myself at you? What does it look myself to point at you more? What does it look like to, maybe my worship life is super alive. Maybe my prayer life is super lively. I just feel like I'm having 24-7 conversations with God. Maybe that is super alive. But my relationship with the written word is weak, and that's just something I neglect okay, I'm going to exercise that. I'm going to do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it even when I don't feel the, the wind on it yet or I'm not feeling inspired by it yet. Not out of obligation, not out of performance, but because I am pursuing the one that I love. Because I am pursuing the one that I love. Whatever it is, just uh, open up your heart. And right now, Holy Spirit, we just invite your presence to speak to us, to guide us. I Right now, I, I just wipe away that voice of shame that tries to make us feel guilty or ashamed for hitting plateaus, for hitting valleys, for hitting low points. 
shame tries to make us feel like we're bad, that, we're, that there's something fundamentally wrong with us, that, that we always make these mistakes, whatever it is, all of those kinds of thoughts keep you where you are. It doesn't mean that we won't feel sad if we've realized we've been in a plateau for a while. It doesn't mean we won't feel sad if we realize that we've been sinking into a valley for a little while. Being sad is okay, but shame has no place in your relationship with God. Shame has no place there. So we erase that shame right now. If there's sadness, that's okay. But shame we do not accept. And let's release right now that picture of what it looks like to pursue the next level of relationship with God. If we're doing great, if we feel momentum in our relationship, if we feel growth in our relationship with him, then I bless that right now. But I reveal the stairway to the next floor. I just release that picture in our mind. Something to do, not out of performance, not out of obligation, but to align our heart, to train our heart to be more in love with him. If we're in in the middle of a uh, plateau right now and things feel flat and it feels like it's been the same and some of the things that I've done are starting to lose their luster, I just release that vision, that moment, even if it's being quiet, even if it's taking a break from some of those things, even if it's slowing down and spending more quiet time with him, whatever it looks like, to see what he has in pursuit of a, a new and, and fervent life with him, a living, breathing relationship with him. Right now, just off everyone's mind, I just break the shackles off of our picture of what it looks like to have a relationship with God. That this is not a one-way relationship, that this is not a, a, a simple master-servant relationship, that it is a multi-dimensional, multi-faceted, utterly unique relationship that has, has all the fulfillment, all, the di- all of the dynamic, and all of the passion of any earthly relationship we have, Lord. I just break off the shackles that would limit what it could look like to have a relationship with God, Lord. And right now, I just release a grace on the people who are in the middle of the valley, whether it has to do with their relationship with God or or their life situation right now. And I just release the understanding of who is walking with them in that valley, of who is standing right next to them, of who never stopped loving, never stopped pursuing, never stopped chasing after us, Lord. I would just release an encounter with the one who will follow us anywhere, who will chase us anywhere. In Jesus' name. And lastly, I just, um, it was mostly a metaphor for this situation, but I just released a blessing on all the marriages in this room right now that we would once again break the shackles off what love can look like, of what connection could look like, of what depth of intimacy can look like. Whether we're doing amazing or whether we're having a hard time, I just release vision for what it looks like to pursue, to intend, to, to choose to release new levels of love, to train our hearts to release love to one another. We just release it more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.